0: Welcome! You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California.
1: Well, this is the time of year, as you probably know. In some ways, this is the day today, or tomorrow, I should say, when a kind of a new chapter in the year sort of kicks off where... This is the time of year where people will be hanging out with each other, friends and family will be relaxing together, they'll be in backyards, they'll be at campgrounds, they'll be sitting at lakes, they'll be sitting around pools, and they'll just be with each other, friends and family, maybe even more so this year because of everything that's been going on in the previous year. And In those places of being together and hanging out, there will undoubtedly be conversations, about things that matter, things that people care about, they'll wanna to talk to friends and family about. Something about those spaces when things are relaxed and people have their feet up and conversation starts flowing, sometimes those settings tend to bring forth the stuff that's in us, the stuff we're thinking about, the things we're dreaming about, the things that are on our minds. And our elder board retreats, uh, we would used to go on them Uh, Sometimes twice a year, but at least once a year, we'd go away somewhere, we'd rent a place. We used to call these deck conversations. So we'd have our regular meetings around a table or in a living room or wherever it was that we had the place we had rented and then take a break, wander outside onto the deck, sit down, put your feet up, a little more relaxed and something would come up. Someone would bring something up. Some conversation would arise in that relaxed setting And we would sit there and we would talk about it in that that environment. Things going on in our lives. Things we care about. Things that we wanted to unpack in terms of what God was doing. And so today and throughout this summer at these Sunday gatherings, we're going to have, hopefully, some of these deck conversations. Sort of these deck moments where it's a little more relaxed, a little more laid back. I assure you, from now Until early September, every time you're here on a Sunday, I will be wearing shorts. So just get ready for that. As part of this endeavor, I have to do my part. So I guess I'll wear shorts. That's just the way it's going to be. But we're going to have a series this summer called What's on Your Mind. And we're going to try to have these deck moments and these deck dialogues under that heading of What's on Your Mind. And here's the really fun part of this. We're going to have a whole bunch of different people who are going to be speaking this summer. I'll do a couple of them, but there will be about seven or eight or so others who will be from our church who will be sharing during the message time that day, and they'll be sharing what's on their mind and what God is saying to them and what scripture is coming alive to them and what's happening in them. So I think it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be at times challenging I think it'll be really encouraging, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Today is a very different day in terms of what we're going to do. We start the series, What's on Your Mind? I'm going to try to address that regarding Oak Hills. What's on my mind regarding Oak Hills? So if you are visiting today, or if you're new here today, uh, rest assured, this is an unusual Sunday. This is not how it's typically done, at least not this portion of the service. I'm not going to be giving a sermon today per se so we're not going to have a bunch of scripture and all that like we normally do but i'm going to be talking about what's on my mind what's churning what's stirring as it relates to oak hills where we are where we he- where we're heading and some of the exciting and fun things that are going on and the reason that we're doing this one is to kick off this series next week i'm going to do what's on my mind as it relates to my own life with God and what he's stirring in that. But today it has to do with the church. And the reason we're doing that is because, as you know, COVID is not behind us, but it's certainly, we're past a lot of it, thankfully. And we want to start talking about what re-engagement looks like. We want to talk about what it looks like to continue to be the church, continue to walk forward following God in our humility and in our brokenness and trying to gently and, humbly discern where he's leading us. We want to continue to to do that. We want to start doing that now on the backside, hopefully on the backside of COVID. And what it looks like for each of us to engage, to re-engage, and to participate in the life of the church. So I'm going to talk about five or six areas, and we're going to have different people come up and share in those areas. But let me start by talking about this whole idea of spiritual formation and discipleship. A concept, an idea, if you've been around here a while, You've heard us talk about this for many, many years. Formation in Christ, formation in Christ's likeness, is the heartbeat of who we are and who we continue to want to be here at Oak Hills. We just finished this series called A Radiant Life, this idea of putting on the character of Christ from Colossians 3, that the character of Jesus would be fashioned and formed within us so that we gradually become more like him in our inner being, that we continue to grow in him, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Becoming the people of Jesus in our inner life and character. Or we might say it this way, this idea of tending to the inward journey of discipleship. What's God doing in me? How's he forming me? What aspect of my character does he want to replace and transform into his character? And this idea of tending to the inward journey of discipleship is so that we actually have authentic good news to share with the world. Good news that we have experienced and good news that we are continuing to experience as we learn to walk with Christ. See, the outward journey, or to put it this way, our service to others and our mission to others in this world Flows out of who we are becoming in Christ. It flows out of it uh, who we are. It uh, flows out of who we are in terms of our inner character. Flows out of who we are becoming in Christ. For me, Mike, as an individual, but also for us, Oak Hills, as a faith community. We always talk about this here. I have my journey with Christ, as do you. But we have a journey with Christ. We have, if you will, a kind of soul a DNA, a culture that is Oak kills. And what is God doing in me and what is God doing in us? So spiritual formation in Christ-likeness, whether individually or communally, um, produces a way of living that is then attentive to the needs of the world. We pay attention to it and we notice these needs. And most especially, we pay attention to the ultimate need this world has, which is to encounter Jesus and come and follow him. And that happens as we live this out in our everyday lives. But before we get into all that, when we ignore the centrality of spiritual formation in Christ-likeness, when we minimize it, when we sort of dismiss it, yeah, 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 yeah. Or when we sort of have the mindset of, you know, well, yeah, of course, I'm being spiritually formed because I'm a Christian, which I would caution us from making that assumption. But when we do that, when we ignore it, our service or our mission to the world often gets reduced to something we occasionally do if we have the time or if we're not too tired. So paying attention to who we are becoming is paramount in our context here at Oak Hill. So I want to mention again this journey process that we've talked about many, many times. It's this process that Uh, small groups of people go through. It takes about 10 10 months to go through it. Some of you are in it right now. Others of you have gone through it before. This is essential in our spiritual formation work here as a church. And Elaine Bratton, if you know Elaine, she is the point leader of our journey process. We have an unbelievable cast of volunteer leaders who give themselves to this. People like Chris Bertelli, Scott Schaefer, Colleen Gray, they are the facilitators of these groups that help bring forth this fruit of a transformed life. So if there's anything in that journey process, you've heard me talk about it before, you've heard others others talk about it. If that speaks to your own need for growth and formation, I would encourage you to contact Stephanie Valadez. It's a pretty easy thing to kind of find out about. There'll be orientations coming up as we get into the later summer, and a new group will start in the fall, and encourage you to consider being part of that. Let me talk about mission as the second sort of churning value and emerging thing here at the church. We always talk about three wings of mission there's the overseas wing, there's the local ministry partner wing. So, overseas would be missionaries we support, local ministry partner would be powerhouse playmakers, things like that. And this third wing that we've talked about in the past is mission in our everyday lives. That is, when you leave here, go to your neighborhood, go to your school, go to your job, go to play on your soccer team, be with friends, whatever. That mission that God has given us in those settings, living missionally, in other words, in everyday life. And I think we're pretty decent at wing one and wing two overseas and local ministry partners. But for many years, quite frankly, we've struggled with this third wing. And for many years, we've talked about this third wing and how to integrate it and incorporate it into our lives. We've talked about this idea of what church is going to look like in the future. That in 5, 10, 15 years, church, because of a host of reasons, culturally and other reasons, is going to look different. And so uh, we're living in a culture where increasingly people aren't interested in faith, they're not interested in church, so what will that look like 5, 10, 15 years from now? So we've talked about it occasionally in terms of how do we go out and bring the kingdom, and bring church, if you will, into our community and into our places, rather than waiting for people to come to the church, which, quite frankly, is happening less and less because of things happening. So, Sean Young, many of you know Sean, has worked with InterVarsity for a 1,000 years. And Sean is a phenomenal leader and thinker on these things of related to mission, and he recently, because we want to learn in this, Sean recently started working with us on a part-time basis to kind of bring his experience and expertise that he's learned in inner varsity and bring it to our congregation and to Oak Hills to help us uh, toward kind of a deeper missional engagement in our everyday lives. So I'm really excited about what Sean's doing. So Sean, why don't you come up, and if you give him a welcome, we're going to have a little bit of a chat about this. You'll notice Sean is wearing a blue shirt and tan shorts. We sort of coordinated yeah. today. We thought it would look better up front. How are you doing?
2: This Sean? is the high-class service because these seats are really We get these chairs. Are really I know cushy. Those, those other yeah. things.
1: We're rather... Yeah, the rather morning hard.
2: service is for country bumpkins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that's why Sam should have come to the morning service. But anyway, that's another topic. All right, so Sean, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah. um, So I, uh, you know, 14 years ago, moved here from Reno, Nevada, where I was doing ministry with Intervarsity. Um, Back up a little bit more, Uh, I got involved with Intervarsity uh, as a college student because I was I was uh, in college looking for some way to keep growing in my faith, and there was only one organization, one ministry on campus. It was called Intervarsity. Uh, I joined a Bible study, had a life-changing experience through that, got and just wanted to do more. And so one thing led to another, and um, I ended up getting invited to come on staff with them. It was a three-year commitment. That was 30 years ago. And um, so uh, I now serve as the National Director of Chapter Planting, which means I get to train and coach and, uh, send young ministry leaders to go plant college ministries at campuses across the U S that, uh, don't have any ongoing ministry. So, uh, just this year, uh, we've launched 120 college ministries in, you know, through the pandemic. That's awesome.
1: And you've been part of Oak Hills, 10, 12, something like that. Yeah. 14 years 14 years. Yeah. Okay, so as you think about, you know, obviously, Sean has a lot of experience on campuses with this stuff. Talk about what's brewing in our context. And, you know, we use this phrase living missionally. So maybe talk a bit about what's going on, what's in the works as we think about that here.
2: Yeah. So um, you were mentioning before that how how uh, our discipleship and becoming more like Christ leads to us. Uh, being involved in mission and so in reaching out and loving and serving and engaging the rest of our community and so uh, that it it doesn't surprise me that there are a number of people already here at Oak Hills that have been doing that because as they mature in their in their discipleship that's what it leads to and so um, there are all kinds of examples of that a lot of you uh, uh, here are probably those people and. Um, so the uh I, I think what really gets me going is helping people who are trying to establish a kingdom presence in our community outside the the, the walls of this building out um, up beyond the courtyard beyond the property boundaries of oak hills and uh and trying to establish a presence of Jesus and his his kingdom in another part of our city. If I can get behind those people and support them, provide training, coaching, whatever they need, and even community around that, that really excites me. And so I think, you know, when really, in a sense, church boils down to this. Wherever people are gathering to worship and honor and obey Jesus— they are starting to create a presence of his kingdom in that space. And what God wants to see happen is that more people are invited into that space to encounter Jesus and experience a little foretaste of the kingdom there. I think that's what church is. And when people are doing that, I think that's a beautiful thing.
1: So, so what's, what's brewing on this is this idea of we want to... We want to press out into this. We want to, for some of you that might be feeling this or resonating with this, we want to bring Sean's leadership into this to kind of take next steps so that we can establish some of these kingdom outposts, kingdom presence out in the community where we live and work and play for the purposes of helping people discover who Jesus is. So as you think about this, Sean, why do you think this is important now? Or why is this kind of reimagining for those that are interested in it? Why is this important that we consider this now?
2: I I mean, I just think there are a number of people in Oak Hills that are already doing it, but there's, I believe there's more who are itching to do something uh, with their discipleship that has an impact in the city. And there needs to be a place for them to learn together, to encourage each other. I mean, it can be challenging to try to, try to start a new kingdom endeavor somewhere. Uh, you, you come up against opposition sometimes. There's things don't work out. Sometimes people don't show up. It can be discouraging. It can feel lonely. And, and, and in fact, the people that you're reaching sometimes are weird. And that's, I mean, everybody is somebody's weirdo. Yeah. And So it's just like we need each other. We need a place that we can help each other and support each other and learn from each other. I want to create that space because it it needs to happen now.
1: So a long time ago, this is an example of this. A long time ago, uh, Sean and Karen's daughter, Kalena, played on the same soccer team as Julie's and my daughter, Izzy, for a number of years together. And so... The four of us were always interacting with people who loved soccer, but many didn't really know who God was, and we weren't the beat you over the head with a Bible type, never would be, but there was always this kind of, you know, how do we be a presence here? I, I know Karen and Sean thought about this, I know Julie and I thought about this, but it was kind of an isolated, we're just sort of thinking about it on our own, and how do we be in these relationships in any sort of way where we're paying attention to what God may be doing. This is the kind of thing we're talking about in neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, places where you play or your kids play. How can we mobilize and be in those spaces together trying to discern what God's doing? So as we're at this early stage to this, kind of getting this rolling, who should be thinking about this or who are we trying to talk to today in particular?
2: Yeah, like, so if you are in a context where you live, work, and play, and uh, you, you recognize there are people in that space that just have no experience with the kingdom of God, and that bothers you, that's probably a sign God is speaking to you. And if you are ready to do something about that, and maybe gather together with a few friends to do something about that, then you're in a great spot to be part of this learning community. Or if you have been part of an Oak Hills group and growing in your discipleship, everything's going great, but you just feel like there's something more we should do together, there's, there's a next step outward, um, and we just don't know what that means, we don't know what that needs to look like, but we feel a sense of calling to that, then this would be perfect for you. So talk about the
1: learning community kind yeah. have a next step.
2: So I call, it, I call it a learning community just because there really is no roadmap. It's not a formula. It's not a recipe or something. There isn't some manual that you know we're just going to hand you. We are going, going to come together, learn f- from each other and our, our experiences. And I'm going to share as much as I can from 30 years of launching ministries, uh, what I can with all of you. And um, so... That's what I mean by learning community. It'll probably meet maybe twice a month. Uh, uh, there needs to be some regular uh, rhythm to this. And um, and then there'll be some other things that maybe we can do together. But uh, um, we are going to launch a kickoff event on uh, July 6th at 7 o'clock here. And so uh, you'll probably hear more about that in the future. But um, if if you feel like you're in that place and you have, you, you have a sense of calling that's growing and you may, you, you're just looking for some more community around that and help for that, then I want to take your calling seriously. And I want to support you in that and create a space for that. So um, get a hold of me. My uh, email's in the, the um, app, the church app. And, uh, oh, it's on the screen.
1: Yeah, this high class uh, here, Sean.
2: Yeah. And that's my backyard. If you're interested, um, maybe we'll have the kickoff in my backyard. I don't know. So this is great. July
1: 6th, 7 p.m. If something's resonating with you on this or you're just wondering some sense of what's next in this missional thing, this would be a great thing to come and check out and we'll get on this journey together. We already have a a list of about 8 to 10 people are going, I want to be a part of that. So encourage you to to think that through and hope you can come on the 6th. Thanks a lot, Sean. So another emerging value, kind of something that's stirring around here, is in the realm of hospitality. By hospitality, we simply mean this kind of posture of welcome uh, to one another and to those outside the church. How do we occupy spaces with a sense of welcoming others and being in that space in a hospitable way. And this is a value that we've had for a long time. A number of these values are emerging and churning. And Ashley Hansen had this marvelous idea not too long ago. She's our director of hospitality. She said, what if we took some of these values that are starting to, to emerge and we had different people uh, from the church or from the staff, whichever it is, who really carry these values? If they could talk about these things and we could capture them on video, and that might give us, not just for one service, but long-term, people can hear about who we are in these areas. So I want to show you a video that Ashley made that kind of captures this hospitality value.
0: Hello, my name is Ashley Hansen. I'm the director of hospitality here at Oak Hills Church. What comes to mind when you think about the word hospitality? It might be a person at a concierge desk. Or the person who makes those cute little animal shapes out of your towels at your hotel room. Or it might be someone who assists you at the customer service desk somewhere. These are all aspects of hospitality. But what comes to mind when you think of hospitality as it relates to the kingdom, as followers of Christ, within the church and within our own communities? I wanted to take a few minutes to define hospitality as we at Oak Hills Church view it and why we hold it as such a high value. Your typical church hospitality is viewed as a welcoming handshake, a warm, hello, good morning, welcome to Oak Hills Church greeting, or maybe it's a hug or a fist bump as you arrive at church on a Sunday morning. It's offering a tour of our facility, a gift, and any assistance needed, or the presence of answering questions to our visitors. And it often offers free coffee and treats for your congregation. These are all wonderful and important attributes of hospitality that we value on a Sunday morning. However, hospitality is so much bigger than that. While these acts of hospitality are good and important, they're only a small piece of a much bigger puzzle. God designed hospitality to be a way of life for his followers. The dictionary defines hospitality as the friendly and generous reception of entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. The Christian definition of hospitality is welcoming the least of these with no concern for ambition or advantage for ourselves. Faithful hospitality usually involves laying down our lives in the little places and in the small acts of sacrificial love and service. It's the creation of free space where a stranger can enter and become a friend. It's the expression of respect and recognition, radical welcome to all. It is a means of meeting a need, and it needs hosts of local groups of believers who can show this love and expression towards all. Hospitality as God designed it has been lost over the centuries. His original design was for his people to love and care for the least in society by the way of invitations into their homes for meals, caring for the sick and lonely, providing a need for a family, a place for an out-of-state people to stay, and doing it without the expectation of anything in return. But now these hospitality values of God's are being shown through public and secular means, and less and less by His kingdom people. We at Oak Hills want to recapture God's original vision for hospitality. We view it as an act of love and care in a personal way, far beyond the Sunday morning handshake, though that Sunday morning handshake is just as important. So what does it look like to invite a stranger into your home for a meal? or providing a room for a few nights to someone who needs help? What does it look like to show dignity to the people whom the world deems less than? What does it look like to provide a meal or a grocery run or a helping hand around someone's home? These are all ways that we can show hospitality to each other. Hebrews 13, through 2 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. We value hospitality here because we value people, all people. We were made in the image of God, and each one of us should have no higher value than another. We want to create a safe, loving, warm space both inside the church and within our own communities where people feel the love of God, that they are welcomed, loved, and wanted. Let us bring back the equal treatment, welcoming those who are deemed less than or who are different from us, and show love and compassion to our fellow man. In order to recapture God's view of hospitality, we must reclaim the household as a key site for this ministry and reconnect the home back to church so the two can work in partnership. So how do we do this? What are some practical ways of providing hospitality both inside the church and outside the church? Well, inside, you can join one of our many hospitality teams that we have here. Outside in your community, you can be a person who offers your home to someone to stay for a night or two, invite people into your home for a shared meal, offer to serve your neighbor in some way, invite your neighborhood over for a barbecue block party, be someone who can host a family in need during the holidays. You could bring a basket um, of gifts to essential workers to the police station or the firehouse to show appreciation for these difficult careers. You could invite a single parent over for a point of connection and relief. There are many, many more options here. Hospitality is endless, and God makes it clear that it is not an option. We are called to be hospitable. Let's keep our hearts, minds, hands, and doors open to where God might be calling us to step into this way of living and be a conduit for his love and grace together.
1: So that's hospitality. And again, there are a lot of you that are really good at this. And if you're interested in finding out ways to uh, that we're thinking of or that we want to partner with you in terms of the use of your home, your space for these purposes, you can simply contact Ashley. Let's talk for a bit about family ministries. What do I mean by that? Children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult, college age, young couples, young, young families, this whole idea of... Uh, what does it look like to be a church that is invested in family ministries? And this is where our intergenerational value as We talk about old and young being together on this journey together. And we want to continue to invest in these family ministries. In fact, one of the areas where there's a lot of stirring and churning is around family ministries. And how do we continue to invest and pour ourselves out and make space for children and for youth and for their parents in this strange culture that we are living. We don't talk about this as younger people being the future of the church. We talk about this as being essential to who we are. They shape us. There's mutuality in the relationship. We learn from younger people. They learn from us. And how do we make room in our congregation increasingly so children and families have a place here? So again, this is our intergenerational value. We've been intentional about this for years To bring young and old together and to reflect the body of Christ in those differences as much as we can. So I'm really excited to have finally our next youth pastor, Alyssa Krieger and her husband Nick. I believe they arrived uh, yesterday. They're going to be moving in this week. She'll be starting up very soon. I'm really excited about the work she's going to do. There's a lot of stuff planned already for this summer in our youth ministry. Some of you may know that we started looking last year for this youth pastor. It's been a long process to dig into. Things really ramped up in January. And our goal all along was let's have somebody here by early June so we can take advantage of and maximize this summer. And Alyssa is now here. Nick is here. They're going to be off and running. And we're really excited about that. Our leadership team of Colleen and Jackie, while she was here, And uh, Erin, the work they've done, our volunteer leaders have been unbelievable. And it'll be great to have our new youth pastor and to move on and uh, get going with what her vision is. Colleen made a comment a couple of weeks ago to me. She said, we have spent a long time focused on youth. And I think we now need to give the same kind of emphasis to children and their families. And I couldn't agree with her more. And this is one of our points of focus. This is why we're talking about this today. This has been stirring. It's been churning. And this is going to be on the front of the radar for the next half year at least. We've got some things planned to prioritize this and to pour into this. But the thing I want to talk about today is I want to announce to you another person that we're going to be hiring who's going to be giving his energy and his effort and his skills in this family ministry area is david holcomb so for those of you apparently some of you know him so some months ago dave resigned from his church down in southern california and he and carolyn made the decision to move back up here to folsom he's actually going to live about a mile from where julie and i live and uh dave has four children ranging from 17 to three i believe their youngest is uh, so, Dave, as he says, I'm going to be involved in family ministry for a long time because he's got a, a a span of of children there. So, Dave was moving back. They were kind of in this unknown in terms of what his future would be, and he and I got talking and started thinking about what a role here might look like. And but um, a lot of conversations with elder board, with administrative council, um, for all the details aren't important, but we've came to this point of of deciding, hey, let's do this. And so Dave will be partnering with Colleen in terms of children's ministry and Alyssa in terms of youth ministry. And the three of them will be our family ministry team. And Dave's sort of unique part of that role is going to be that Dave is going to be giving himself to helping our younger families and our Uh, youth and children, kind of helping the whole family, the parents and our children, sort of connect together in ways, be together, sort of coalesce as a group, and then bring the things that Sean is talking about, the missional living kind of a thing, into those spaces with younger families. So you think about stuff like the soccer team I mentioned a moment ago. And families, many of you have children in all sorts of different sports. Dave's job is gonna be in part to kind of help those families think about how can we be missional in this space. So Dave will be working with Sean and I and Emily Hui and Scott Schaefer and some others on how do we walk this missional stuff out. And Dave will be focused on younger families and younger couples uh, and and children to actually do that. He'll be speaking on a regular basis. And so we're looking forward to having Dave here. Dave is going to start working um, in September, September 1st. It's a part-time job. He'll be working about 30 hours uh, a week. They arrive, I believe, on June 9th. Dave's got some stuff to do still down in Southern California. So he'll begin on September 1st, and we'll we'll, uh, keep going forward. I'm excited to have both Dave and Alyssa here. Let me talk about serving for a minute. And um, this is another one of these areas as we think about reengaging and reconnecting in the life of the church Uh, I want to talk for a bit about serving. I'll tell you something. I've said this before. We're not into building an empire here at Oak Hills. There are more things about this place that are unimpressive than there are impressive. And that's true of me. That's true of the culture of the church. That's true of who we are as a church. So this isn't about empire building, nor is it about trying to convey some idea that what happens at this campus or in this room is the totality of what it means to be church because it's not, and it's not by a long shot. And a big part of where we see God nudging us is what we talked about earlier, this idea of moving out into spaces in the neighborhood, in the job, in the schools, and so on. But at the same time, I don't think this is an either-or. I don't think it's the ministry is out there not here, nor do I think it is all the ministry is here, but not out there. These either ors tend to very rarely be true. And so there are things that happen here every week, all week long, on Sunday, other things that happen. There are things that go on here that are important to our spiritual life and formation, our walk with Jesus, our relationships with each other, and things happen out in our everyday lives, school, work, play, etc., where we encounter God and build relationships, etc. Give us opportunities to see the kingdom at work, see others drawn near to it, and so on. So the ideal situation is where there's a good flow, I would say. In other words, we gather, it's good, and then we scatter, and that's good too. We have this campus and we use it, this building, these facilities, and we have our lives where we're increasingly engaged in kingdom work, and we're fo- following what God is doing in our work in our school, etc. And God' work is at work in all of these settings. But it keeps a lot, it, it takes a lot of people and work to keep all this going. Again, not talking about an empire, not talking about, well, let's just prop up 1,100 blue ravine roads so we're impressive. I'm not talking about that. But it takes a lot of work to keep all this going here and beyond here. Case in point, coffee doesn't make itself. So there's people, they show up and they do that. Grass doesn't cut itself. These things Sean's talking about, these missional communities, somebody's got to give leadership to those things. Somebody has to be hands-on, be the pastor, if you will. I'm talking about you being the pastor in those settings. There's a lot of things that that are required to kind of get things rolling. So on the screen, you'll see this thing called participation opportunities. And you go to our app, you go to our website, you click on where it says that, and it will take you to a form that shows all these different areas of our church and places where currently we need a lot of help. Now, I was going to go through all these areas and talk about them and kind of talk about at least one area in each of the areas where we need people to step up and serve and get involved. Some of these things are in the uh, areas that are here at the campus. Others are talking about things that are out in the community. I was going to go through some of that, but we're a little bit short on time. So I want to focus just on one area. Don't misinterpret this as that I'm over-inflating the importance of Sunday. But I just want to be straight up with you on this. We need some help in our teams that make these Sundays happen. Tech team, multimedia, sound. There's a group of people sitting up in this balcony uh, over most of your right shoulders. And they've been here since about six o'clock this morning, 6.30 this morning. They've been putting stuff together, checking sound, doing it outside, moving inside, putting slides together, making sure the sound is right. And we need some of you to step up and get involved in that. A couple weeks ago, our youngest daughter, Izzy, was here for a service. And Jordan's up here. Uh, I was outside. He's doing his worship thing. And the music part ended. And she says to me, you know, Jordan sounded good today. So what are you talking about? He sounds good every day. He's awesome voice. She goes, well, when I was in Spain and I was watching online, he didn't sound good very often. He often sounded not so good. So she thought, Jordan's an okay singer. Because she's watching on her phone or her computer, and it doesn't come through the same as when you're in person. So we have a sound person up there right now who's making sure that, you know, I don't sound like an idiot, and it stays on and all the rest of that. Well, they can't control whether I sound like an idiot, but you get the point. And, but online, the sound is all different. I just found this out recently. It's fascinating to me the whole sound thing is all different. So there's people watching on their iPad, they're going, man, that music stinks, they don't know how to play guitars. It's not that, it's that we need a sound person who can control the sound for what's coming through the streaming devices that we anticipate using for a long time in the future unless we don't have people to help out. So that's a really important issue that we need help with right now. We don't have enough people helping to set up and take down that outside service. In fact, we're at a point, I don't say this in some sort of, you know, this isn't like a threat. It's just reality. The the folks who are in on this, Manuel, Jordan, and some others, they said to me this week, Mike, you need to realize, we're only a couple weeks away from having to get rid of the outside service and only do the inside because the setup, the takedown, and the transition is just too much and we're burning our people up. So it's a long-winded way of saying we need help. We need people to volunteer. I want to encourage you to click on that participation op thing, opportunity thing on the app or the website, see all the different areas that need help, click on one or two and see if you can't re-engage and get involved. One more topic I want to cover, and it will probably be the least pleasant for you and for me. It's the subject of money. So, some good news first. The debt on our building. You remember back in 2014, we went to work to reduce our debt. And then we did it again in 2018. In 2014, the debt we had as a church was $2.8 million. And today in 2021, that number has been reduced to $570,000. So it's been an amazing adventure that we've been on for the last seven years. And we've taken a massive bite out of our debt. We expect that if all we did, and we intend to do more, but if all we did was make our regular monthly mortgage payments, we think in the next five years, maybe a little less than that, that $570,000 will be gone. We'll have zero debt. Now, you think about this from the standpoint of what Sean's talking about, this idea of thinking missionally, this idea of what's out in the future in terms of what the church will be. Well, we have just positioned ourselves in a very near future to not have any debt, which what that does is it frees us up To follow where God's leading without worrying about, can we make the mortgage payment? And that is a huge thing. It's a big, big chain that we're just about ready to snap in half and be freed from. So that's a really cool thing. Here's the not so good news. Our offerings are what you and I give each week when we are in in, in our life. Whether we give online or give in person, whatever. That's what our offerings are. We don't have an underwriter who carries the financial obligations of the church, or maybe I should say it this way, we do have an underwriter. They're sitting next to you and around you. So we are the underwriter. Uh, The budget of our church comes from the people in our church who give their tithes and who give their offerings. So in 2021, so far, year to date, our offerings are down by 16% over where the exact same place we were last year. We expected some of this. We projected to be 4% down, but right now to date, we're 16% down. Now that wasn't totally unexpected. Whenever there's an election, that tends to get people nervous. It's not uncommon for people to, you know, pull back in a little bit. The pandemic, that little pesky thing probably caused some of this because that was a big deal. Some people started, maybe forgot uh, or other people have left and they've gone on to other places or whatever. 2020 was a really good year financially for us, but 16% down in 2021, that's a pretty big deal and it's not a sustainable number. So we need to try to turn this around as much as we can. I could talk about this for a long time, but Jerry Versaput, part of our church forever, part of our admin council, one of these value videos, I asked Jerry to do one on money and again what Ashley said are all Ashley's words. What Jerry's gonna say are all Jerry's words. So let's take a look at the video.
3: Hi my name is Jerry Versput, and I've been around the Oak Hills for about 26 years. Almost 20 of that was uh, serving on the elder board which I'm not doing at the moment uh, although I am still on the administrative council. So Talking about giving has always been an awkward topic for Oak Hills, although it's less awkward for me now that I'm not on the elder board and I can talk just as a a member of the church. It's awkward mainly because we're painfully aware that giving has been abused by churches throughout history. Even when Jesus and the disciples were traveling around, people donated money to provide for them, and Jesus put a guy in charge of the money who was skimming some for himself. So, obviously, Jesus knew about it. So, it really shouldn't be an awkward topic, even though, historically, not everyone has been a good steward of what people gave. I'm pretty sure our faithfulness in giving and the faithfulness of those who are responsible for the money after it's been given are evaluated separately. God established giving as a necessary practice, starting with Cain and Abel. And there's a long list of Bible verses from both the Old and New Testament that either lay out specific guidelines for giving or indicate that regular giving is simply assumed for every believer. It's clear that giving is a non-negotiable part of a spiritual life. So Oak Hills believes it's important to teach on it despite the awkwardness and skepticism that always gets expressed whenever the subject of money comes up. As is true for most if not all spiritual practices, there's both a spiritual side and a practical side to giving. The practical side is that churches don't charge membership dues, at least most of them. And there's a mortgage and utility bills to pay and salaries and health insurance and retirement contributions for staff, toilet paper, boxes and boxes of goldfish crackers. And sometimes this is easy to forget, the expenses associated with serving and being relevant in the community and different ministries throughout the world. A church has all the expenses of a, of a rather complicated business. That's definitely true of Oak Hills. And rather than create piles of money, God, since the beginning, decided to cover these expenses through the offerings of people who serve them. From a practical standpoint, The Bible establishes the amount that people are expected to give, and the amount that churches should operate within, at 10% of earnings, or what the Bible refers to as first fruits. On the spiritual side, there are few spiritual disciplines that so clearly indicate to ourselves where we are from a spiritual maturity standpoint. For many people, the idea of getting away for a period of solitude, for example, is easy to look forward to, especially if you throw in a forest or the ocean. Many of us, me included, would enjoy that whether we're trying to practice a spiritual discipline or not. Giving is different, especially when it involves first fruits as opposed to leftovers, and when it involves something mundane like giving to the practical needs of the local church, or what we call the general fund. It's an actual sacrifice. Oak Hills views the discipline of giving as a necessary part of every Christian spiritual development. From a teaching standpoint, we believe that what the Bible defines as a tithe, or 10% of income, is a good minimum goal for all Christians. And this is an expectation for anyone in a leadership or staff position at Oak Hills. Common questions that come up around giving is whether 10% should be before tax or after tax, does it include what I give to charities other than the church? What if I'm having trouble paying my bills? The church's position is that giving something is better than nothing. And some people, as part of their spiritual development, may need to make a a deliberate effort to get their financial life under control so that they're able to give. The minor details are something that God can fine-tune with you over time. As part of a spiritual journey and in a nation as wealthy as ours, it would be pretty difficult for most people to argue that their goals should be giving away less than 10%. In terms of how much should go to your local church as opposed to other favorite charities, Oak Hills has always taken the position that the discipline of giving is more important than where it goes. The local church that you attend and that serves your spiritual needs requires money to continue to function as a church. But if the idea of giving 10% to your local church gets in the way of giving, then give money to whoever you want to. That's the church's position, but since they asked me to do this video, I get to give my two cents. I talked about the practical reality of a church needing to pay salaries and buy goldfish crackers. The spiritual benefit of giving involves the, recommendation, or the recognition that what we have doesn't ultimately belong to us. We're really caretakers of what God has given to us, and giving 10% to something mundane like a church's general fund means giving control of our tithe to a group of church leaders who have been assigned the task of determining priorities for the church. At Oak Hills, the staff and elder board are responsible and will be held accountable for following the Holy Spirit's leading to determine priorities between, say, paying utility bills, hiring staff, or renovating the courtyard. And we won't always agree with their priorities, but giving to the local church with no strings attached is part of the spiritual discipline of giving. I tend to believe, again, this is just me talking, that 10% is the part I relinquish control over, meaning I don't direct how it's used. Supporting a charity I really like, or a ministry family, or any other form of giving is something I get to control, and therefore is something beyond the tithe.
1: Pretty important words from Jerry and something for us all to think about. I knew I was going to be talking about this today and so a couple months ago I had a joint meeting with the admin council and the elder board and we talked about in that leadership circle about the importance of giving and our own giving as leaders. This week, because I knew I was going to be talking to you about this, um, I sat with our staff leadership actually last week, I sat with our staff leadership and talked about this. We talked about our giving as leaders in the church. Uh, This week I met with the whole staff and we talked about our giving and the example we set as leaders in the church. Last This past Thursday night I met with our elder board. I showed this video to our staff. I showed this video to our elder board and we talked about our responsibility as leaders to be leading in the area of giving. And in our staff context, just to keep it all up front, what I said to our staff was if you're not giving at 5%, uh, right now that I'd like you to have a conversation either with me or with Melinda so that we can begin to open up that conversation and start moving toward it. The reality is this, and this is a reality that any pastor in any church is going to say. Um, if the people who called whatever church, their, if, if the people who think of whatever church as their home church were to give 3 to 5%, far less than what The scriptures are telling us if that were to happen, there'd hardly ever be a need for any talk on money because there'd be more money than the church knew what to do with. So I know this is a tough conversation. I know it's awkward, but this is a spiritual matter. And we've made a point to talk about this, to try to do our best to kind of avoid the slick and slippery tactics religious institutions often employ to pry money out of unwilling hands. I want no part of that. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I do want to challenge us to hear Jerry's words, maybe watch the video again, and consider where we're at with our giving to the church. Our plan to deal with this 16% deficit is as follows. One, hopefully this little talk will stir up something. I'm fairly confident Jerry's video will stir up some things. Um, Online giving has uh, been proven to be pretty helpful for a lot of people, so you don't have to... Uh, necessarily, you know, write a check and all that. There's pluses and minuses to both, but we have online giving where you can set that up um, uh, and you can get to those links for that through through the app or through our website. Our mid-year offering this year, we had intentions to use it for a special project. But we're going to take our mid-year offering, receive our mid-year offering this year and put it toward our general fund to try to mitigate that 16% down. That'll happen on June 20th. You'll hear more about it as, as we get closer. Next Sunday, we'll start receiving an offering again in our services. So those are some of the things that we're going to do to try to encourage giving and encourage re-engagement with giving. Let me wrap this up so we can, we can get out of here. You may be wondering, I know some of you are. Well, let me get this straight. If money is so tight, Why are we ramping up like this? If money is so tight, why in the world are we hiring new staff? Yeah, I get it. Alyssa was in the plan. But if money is so tight, why are we hiring Dave Holcomb right now? Well, let me try and quickly give you my perspective on this. For quite a while, things have been churning in me, talked about this a little bit earlier, regarding the state of the church in our little neck of the woods here. And there are all kinds of cultural experts theologians, writers, who are suggesting and have been for a long time that if the church is going to survive, it needs to adapt and it needs to change uh, because the culture we now live in is post-Christian, which simply means they're not interested in church and they're not interested in God. And higher and higher percentages of people, it's true, are disinterested in Christianity or in the church. So I agree with a lot of this assessment that the church is going to have to change as we go forward. Now, whether I agree with it or not isn't really worth that much. I'm just telling you, I, I, I do agree with it. And that's where Sean's missional thing comes into play. That's why we're trying to work on that. But I do want to say this, and this is where I perhaps disagree with some of these assessments. We at Oak Hills Church are not in the business of surviving. Our goal is not to survive. Our mission as a church has nothing to do with surviving. I've had people say to me, well, in 5 or 10 or 15 years, um, what happens if Oak Hills isn't here anymore? And my response is, okay, then it's not here. I know Kent feels this way, and I know I feel this way, that I'm not interested in some legacy that goes on after me. That's just nonsense. That's ego wrapped up in fancy language, and I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested is in us being on mission now and following God's lead now and doing what he wants us to do now and loving one another and sacrificing for each other now. And if that means in 5, 10, or 20 years the church isn't here, then that's his business. So there's two big mistakes that I, I, I'm going to work hard for us to avoid. One is to stand still, hunker down, be afraid, and stay put, hoping we survive. You may not realize this, but there's hardly a bone in my body that is oriented that way, and I'm not about to go find one now. That's just not in me, nor do I think it is the right thing. The second big mistake I want to avoid is this thing that comes along and says, well, if the church is going to change, we should trash everything right now, downplay the church, dismiss the church, throw it out, you know, baby out with the bathwater kind of thing, and just pontificate on what church should be without regard for what the church currently is. I I don't want any part of either of those. What I do want is, let's go forward together. Let's walk into this unknown adventure together as God leads. And along the way, let's do it together, and let's have fun as we do it. So our elder board and administrative council and staff leadership team have all met together in recent months to talk about what do we need to do? What play should we run? Our elder board and admin council met again a couple weeks ago. And I and we as a leadership team do not believe now is the time to play it safe and hunker down. To be afraid, oh, 16%, let's just tight we just don't think that that's the right play right now. Now is the time we think to make a move. Now is the time to run a play and get the ball down the field. Now is the time to take some risks and make some moves. And so hiring people like Dave, the purpose is to spark a fire and help us lead the way into this unknown future. We've looked at all the numbers. We've crunched them. We've analyzed the costs. And we've built into this process a way to reduce expenses by the end of 2022 if nothing's happening. Let me say it this way. Dave and I have had very upfront and open conversations about where we are financially right now today and what will have to happen at the end of 2022 if we are no longer able to afford his role. All that stuff's been out on the table. So we're gonna try to look at this next 16 months, at least as it relates to Holcomb being back with us. And we're gonna run some plays, take some chances downfield, try to gain some yards and not be afraid of failure because we're not in this business. To survive. Now, that kind of stuff makes me want to bang my head against the locker. But that's just who I am. I like that kind of stuff. I'm excited about where we're heading. I'm excited about Alyssa coming. I'm excited about Dave coming. I'm really excited about the things that we talked about today and about you feeling this stuff and diving in and finding your voice, finding your role, finding your part, all of us sacrificially giving so we don't even have to think about that anymore. We move forward on this mission of what's God up to, how is he leading us, where is he taking us, and how can we individually and as a community honor him and glorify his name. It's a fun adventure. I invite you to come along with us. Would you stand for our benediction? And let me pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together here today. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be part of this Church, the work you're doing in the midst of our imperfections and brokenness, the good things you're up to in people's lives and hearts, the way you're stirring in homes, around tables, in backyards, in neighborhoods, in workplaces, the things you're doing with young moms and their children and this idea of getting out into the parks and being present there, the things you're doing in people like Holly Carlson and Cody and Jeremiah Renfro. And in Stephen and Rachel Barkey and others who are thinking about some incredibly good missional things. The things you're doing in Sean as he leads us in this. The good stuff with Alyssa and Dave. So we are thankful for what you're up to here. And we pray your hand and your spirit would be upon us as we go forward. And now as you leave, may the grace and the peace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thanks for being here today.